You can join today's guest heretic, Chrissy Mannion Zerpour, for the launch of her new book, The Art of Meat Tasting and Food Pairing, this weekend on April 8, 2017, in Portland, Oregon. So if you're in the area, please make it a point to stop by the Mead Market from noon to 4 p.m. Visit meadandfood.com for more details. In the meantime, you can listen to Chrissy's passionate discussion about the history of mead, the many categories and styles of mead, and how to choose the right mead for the right dish. Coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to NutritionHeretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian here, the Nutrition Heretic, and I'm here with my my trusty companion, Nikola Popovich. Hi, everybody. Another day, another podcast. Yeah. Did you know, Nikola, I know you're young. I know you're just right. a baby. But yeah, did- I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not as old as you. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to go there again? <laughs> Are we going to start with this again? <laughs> yes, you're not as funny as me either. So okay, there. <laughs> no, seriously, though. Um, did you know that in the 1950s, the University right. of Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly, uh, their archaeology department uncovered King Midas's tomb? And what they found was uh, his funerary feast. And a couple, actually more than a couple of years ago, this is like 15 years ago or so, uh, Dogfish Head Brewery in Delaware was given the, uh, the recipe of the, the, the drink that they had, or at least, you know, some, some basic DNA ideas of what was in there. And it was a honey mead. And mm. so they invented a beer, which they call the Midas Touch. And, uh, and they, they unveiled it at an event at the University of uh, Pennsylvania. This is when I used to live like half an hour away from, from uh, UPenn. And they unveiled it with like this big gala dinner. And I got to meet Michael Jackson, not the one that you're thinking, but the beer guy, Michael Jackson, uh, both of whom were dead, actually. Uh, yeah, Michael Jackson, he had, I think he had Parkinson's. 
Um, and, um, yeah, he was a, he was a British guy. He was like very known in the, in the beer world. And I got to shake hands with him and there was, you know, media and all this kind of stuff. It was a pretty cool event. And they created, they recreated the entire feast. So, um, since then I've, well, you know that I wrote a book called Honey Lingus all about honey and, uh, how to use honey in recipes and how honey is not exactly sugar, although it's sweet and kind of, you know, its properties, how to cook with it, how to enhance flavors, uh, where you want sweetness, but not, not this kind of vulgar sweetness. Um, yeah. and, uh, so I was in a Facebook group, I believe it was about food blogging. And this was, gosh, probably going back, what, eight months, nine months, a year. And I met, a woman um, who happens to be our guest heretic today. And her name is Chrissy Mannion Zarpur. She's the author of The Art of Mead Tasting and Food Pairing. And actually, the, I think the first thing that we uh, discussed was the, the this Midas touch, wasn't it, Chrissy? Yeah, I think it was. And I'm very jealous, by the way, that you got to be at that dinner and got to meet Michael Jackson. My bookshelf is full of his books, and I would have loved to have met him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was nice. I mean, we didn't like really sit and chat, but yeah, it was it, it was a really nice event, and that, that was like one of the the good things about where uh, where I lived um, when I lived in Southern Jersey uh, is that we were close to Philly, and there were some pretty cool events that they would do down there. And um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely. Uh, one of those experiences that um, I'm glad that I, that my husband and I, even though we didn't have two nickels to rub together, we, you know, saved our pennies and, <laughs> and uh, made it happen. Those kinds of events, like where you, you spend more than you should have to eat a meal whose ingredients aren't worth the cost, right? <laughs> but you end up with this lifetime memory turn out to be some of the best money you've ever spent that consistently happens for me. Well, I think that's where things are. It's, we're totally off topic already. Uh, <laughs> I think that's because that's I'm older than both of you. I'm not sure about that. Um, but no, seriously, it's, I think that's where a lot of people are, what a lot of people are looking for. And that's what um, is starting to happen. We're moving and we're not, not that we're not still, consumers, you know, who like to buy our little gadgets and all this kind of stuff. But I think that people, especially during economic downturns, are looking more for experiences than just more crap to fill up their houses. I agree with you completely. Yeah. So so tell me, Chrissy, how what was your what what first piqued your interest in mead? Well, my first interest in mead happened when I was way underage in high school and exposed, like so many of us are, to um, the forced reading of Beowulf in high school English class. I, I so, thought she would say alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was alcohol, but I mean, it was like the idea of alcohol, right? Because like you don't know anything about it yet. Yeah. Um, but just this whole idea of like wine made from honey and yes. that it used to be called ambrosia and nectar of the gods and it had all these magical properties and it was so old and so mysterious. Uh, I don't know. I was seduced in the first moment and how could you not be? Right. And and actually I, I talk about that a little bit in Honey Lingus, just the, even the concept of honey in general has this very seductive uh, I think all of us, no matter what your language is, I think everyone has this this um, 
kind of romantic appreciation for honey and and these older products like mead. Absolutely. And all the legends uh, completely tie into that. I mean, I think our collective emotional attachment to that has roots that are just thousands of years old because so many cultures have in their legends and mythology the idea that mead and honey have these properties of making you honey-tongued or giving you the gift of poetry, uh, these magical seduction powers and aphrodisiacs. Um, I mean, it's just completely inseparable from the idea of honey and mead. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then, you know, you talked about mead, you know, is this honey wine, are there other types of mead that are not made from honey? Because sometimes I hear it just called mead, and then other times people call it honey mead, as if there's a strawberry mead or <laughs> something else that you could extract the sweetness from and, and turn into mead. What, what does mead well, mean? There are, in fact, strawberry meads, and some are excellent. And one of the best ones is made in Pennsylvania, as uh-huh. a matter of fact. There you go. Um, but the, the kind of generally accepted definition of mead is that the primary fermentation sugar should be honey. So it doesn't mean it's the exclusive fermentation sugar. Um, Just like craft beers in the U.S., um, which are not just made from malted grain, right? There's all kinds of other ingredients in them. You have pumpkin ales and, you know, apricot ales and all kinds of things. Um, Meads also can be made with more than one ingredient, and many are. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you say honey mead, it's sort of clarifying that you're talking about a mead made only with honey. Okay. okay. And then there are many other kinds of meads which may be made with fruits or vegetables or spices or malted grains or grape juice or apple juice or any number of additional ingredients. There are literally thousands of different mead recipes. And, and I mean, they're really all categorically different recipes. Like not the difference between my Pinot Noir and your Pinot Noir, which mm-hmm. are essentially the same recipe, right? Just slightly right. different flavors. I mean, these are completely different recipes where the um, the alcohol content might range from 4% to 20%. And one might be sparkling and one might be still. One might be sweet, one might be dry. I mean, really completely different beverages. Uh, Sorry, what the vegetable is somebody putting in their meat? <laughs> When you uh-huh. said that, I was like, whoa, asparagus? Oh, yeah. I don't know. What what goes in? Well, I haven't seen any asparagus. I've definitely – so there's a, a – capsimels, which are made with hot peppers, are very popular. Ah, gotcha. And those can range from just gently warm to, uh, like, gratuitously fiery hot pepper meads. Um, there are pumpkin meads. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are – I've seen a cucumber mead. Um, so there's not a lot of vegetables, okay. but um, but there are some. Yeah, okay, so there, so there, so there are like they're like the fruiting vegetables, not not kale. Right. I've never okay. Actually, I tried the pepper meat, and it's something really interesting because um, you you get the familiar taste, but there, it's like uh, chocolate with uh, pepper. You know, it's mm. the familiar taste, but with a twist. And it's really intriguing, you know. Anybody putting bacon in their meat? 
No, yeah, no, I don't yes. think so. Yes, there really? are. Yes. All right, that's something for me. Especially you're not the expert. Wait a minute. <laughs> what do you think we have Chrissy here for? You're you're like answering our questions. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The great thing about mead is anybody can be an expert. All you have to do is like jump in and start tasting it and drinking it, and boom, you're an expert. So See, I'd, like be, you're I'd in. be I'd be drunk before I'd be an expert. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, what is that? I don't care. Just pour some more. Okay. But um, yeah, there are a few places making maple bacon mead, uh, particularly. Mm, sounds Canadian. Oh. And and even if the bacon's not actually in the mead, it's like the ideal pairing accompaniment. Right. So think about bacon, right, drizzled with maple syrup or mm. honey, and you get an idea of how honey and therefore mead can complement bacon and, in fact, any kind of pork dish. They're right. like made for each other. A anybody doing uh, coffee mead? Lots and lots of people are doing coffee meads. Actually, one of the most uh, spectacular pairings, I think, in my book is coffee mead paired with tiramisu. Mm. Um, what? And coffee, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, coffee mead also can, um, can have some resonance with the idea of like a Thai coffee, you know, yeah. that they serve in Asian yeah, yeah. restaurants. So coffee meads actually go really well with Southeast Asian food as well. Mm. See, I'm th when I think coffee mead, I think uh, brunch. Mm -hmm. And then, totally. and, and, and then that, uh, like you, like what you were talking about, the maple bacon. Mm -hmm. You know, having like a, a nice brunch with like all the all of the all of those flavors, and then your coffee is actually a coffee meat. I can see that. Yeah, I can totally see that too. Mm, you're getting my you're getting my juices yeah, flowing and here. Champagne style sparkling meads. Um, you know, replacing champagne yes. cocktail at brunch are terrific too. Right. French toast with a mimosa made with mead instead of champagne. Yum. Right. Now, I think you say something in the book about meads made with hops. Yes. Okay. Is that, first of all, or, I guess there's a, there's probably, you know, uh, different varieties where there's champagne style or, or kind of, you know, more wine like style. Uh, but, uh, I guess where I'm going with this is that there's a lot of people concerned about gluten intolerance. Uh, I'm assuming there's no gluten in there, but if somebody yeah, wanted to take sure. like a, a champagne, -y, you know, a bubbly, uh, uh, hops, hoppy, uh, mead and use that as a beer replacement is, does that work? That totally works. And actually that's one of the gateways that many people, uh, walk through as new mead consumers. Um, so many people are feeling a lot better on gluten-free diets. And one of the first things they miss is beer, right? So like how, and then they, they may or may not like cider and may or may not like wine. Um, but virtually all meads are gluten-free. The exception, which, um, which I'll just mention because for some people, um, you know, gluten is a serious health concern, like people with celiacs right. who are extremely sensitive. So there's a category of meads called braggots, okay. B-R-A-G-G-O-T, which are kind of a hybrid between beer and wine. And they're made with malted grain. Um, and that can be barley or rye or wheat. And those typically do have gluten in them and are very similar to beers. So if you're gluten intolerant, you want to avoid braggots. Aha. Uh -huh. But with that one exception, and really, braggots are a very, very small percentage of all the meads that are made. I'm going to just kind of guess 
way less than 1% of all meads are bragged. Okay. So if you exclude just that one little category, all other meads are gluten-free. Okay. And and it would uh, say braggots on it. Uh, would not, yeah, it would, it would say braggot. Okay. Yeah. It would say braggot. Yeah. So that uh, mm-hmm. people wouldn't get, there, there's no confusion uh, or something uh, undisclosed for lack of a better explanation. That's correct. It would not be undisclosed. There are a lot of meaderies in Croatia, Nicola. Have you had meat? Um, not really sure because um, I wasn't really sure about the term meat. What what does it mean? You know, in the beginning, I thought it was uh, it was a honey grape. You know, because we we have something similar here that we do with uh, honey. It's basically um, I'm not sure how you say say it or the, is it grape? The, mm-hmm. the strong alcoholic beverage, yeah. So we have the honey grape, and I thought it was that, but then I remembered that mead is actually honey wine, and I did taste some of it, not much, but I did remember that uh, pepper, that pepper one, and it's it's really a, an interesting thing. I know that um, the ancient Romans used it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Greeks, among Romans. among others. Yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure how to say mead in Croatian. Uh, in Czech, it's medovina. In Estonian, it's modu, and that's miod in many Slavic languages. Um, yeah, I don't know if so, any of those are ringing a bell as yeah, similar. medovina, medovina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's medovina, and um, honey grape would be medovacha. So it's uh-huh. like similar, very. Yeah, and honey grape is um, a common variant here in the U.S. as all as well. We call it piment, which is mm-hmm. uh, actually an ancient Roman word, and they had it as well. Um, so there, you'd mix grape juice and honey together, and then ferment it. Mm-hmm. So it's not sweetened wine, but rather uh, wine that has honey added to the must, and then it can be fermented all the way to dryness. It can be a very dry red or white wine. Mm. Actually, that's that's uh, one of the questions that I had, because I think when people think mead, they think of the syrupy concoction, right? They yeah, think of something I that's very, you know, like, and, and, and to be honest, you talked uh, before we started, you were saying something about a, a, a meadery in Pennsylvania, actually is in this conversation. And then, um, yeah, I've seen them in these kind of boutique wineries around the country. And in Canada, in, in Quebec, uh, there's, there's a, um, a, a bee museum where they sell hydromel. Oh, sorry, not hydromel, mm-hmm. or melomel mel- mel- or hydromel? Is it? Can be both. both. So okay. hyd- hydromel is the French word. Okay, me. that's why, okay, that's why I'm and getting confused. Melomel is, um, kind of a specialty vocabulary word for fruit mead. So like ah, the gotcha. strawberry mead that we mentioned earlier, it would be made partly from, some kind of fruit juice and partly from honey. Okay. And yeah, so for the most part, I found them very sweet and um, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for without sounding obnoxious? <laughs> Is um, uh, like sticky. Sticky, but. Um, Cloying? No, like more, see, this is my problem. I'm like, I'm on the border of, of kind of like insulting the producer, uh, where it's like an entry level attempt at making something. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to some of these wineries. I totally know what you're saying. So, So that's actually a really great point because I've 
heard this a lot and um and and even more so with people who are a little bit older whose first meat experience was many years ago. So let me give you a little background information on how things have evolved and then I'll then I'll directly answer the question. So in uh, in the early 90s, there were like 25 meteries in the US. And I think only one had national distribution. Now there are over 400 meteries in the US and there are about 30 in Canada. Um, and, and so suddenly there's a lot more, right? There's a lot of growth. So I'm gonna just go out on a limb here and guess that like most people, your first experiences with wine and beer were also very low end. Um, you know, lots Probably. of lots of people barely of drinking age get introduced to these, you know, low end starter beers like uh, Paps <laughs> and Budweiser and so forth, right? Which have nothing to do with fine craft beers. This is true. Absolutely nothing, right? And similarly, there are some very cheap wines out there, um, which are completely unremarkable and flaccid and not anything you'd really want to drink again, but they have nothing to do with the transcendent fine wines that are also available. Right. And there's no reason to think that cider or soda pop or mead should be any different. So are there inexpensive, dull meads out there? Absolutely. And do fine meads cost more? Also absolutely. Um, but I'm telling you, there are transcendently beautiful meads available just about everywhere these days. Right. Okay. But you okay. shouldn't expect to get them for $5 a bottle. No, no, can't. no. But, and that's the thing is that I, I know, um, for example, in, uh, I don't know if they, they make sell mead, but, uh, I remember in South Jersey, there was a, a winery that used to do a lot of these like fruit wines, you know, like just like these really like talk about cloying. I mean, <laughs> they were just really just, um, it was almost like Kool-Aid, you know, with alcohol yeah, and, in it. And, 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 and they and were expensive. They weren't cheap. And they, they, and, yeah. and I guess they, like, I guess they, they always seemed like they were in the dessert category. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. So mm-hmm. where you're talking about meads that are with meals, I think many of our experiences, and it's not necessarily bad, but I don't always want, you know, that, that sweetness in my wine or or honey wine. Uh, and I think absolutely I think that's what yeah. And there are lots of dry meads, um, dry, off dry, semi-sweet, uh, barely sweet. Uh, there are a lot of options. Um, so this is one of the reasons um, why I really recommend going to meaderies to their tasting rooms to buy mead rather than going to a grocery store to buy mead. Right. Because so can... in the meadery you get to taste. Right. right? Um, and there are now meteries in 46 states. Wow. So almost no matter where you live, you're not that far from a meadery, which definitely was not the case 10 years ago. Right. And you told me that we have one here on the island. I knew we had wineries uh, on the island, but I did not re- did not realize that there is also a meadery, or, or, unless that's part of the winery that, that we have uh, on the other side of the island. Yeah, and sometimes wineries do make mead, incidentally, right. and some breweries make meads. Right. Um, but in Hawaii, you have two dedicated exclusive meaderies. One is Nani Moon on the island of Kauai, and the other is Volcano Meadery on the Big Island. Yeah, that's that's my um, island. So next time I go down there, I'm going to have to 
do some some mead sampling. Yeah, and volcanoes. Sure do you know your mead? <laughs> That's a whole other show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't I haven't had the pleasure of tasting volcanoes meaderies, but I've had several of the meads from Nani Moon, and they're quite delicious. Oh. Um, and in the best kind of way, they're regional meads too. So she's using tropical honeys. Right. Um, she's using local tropical fruits. Um, like star fruits and mangoes and guavas and so forth. Right. And so they really have this sense of place, um, which I think is also really one of the beautiful things about honey that I know you'll appreciate after writing your book, right? Um, the wildflower honey uh, demonstrates terroir like almost no other agricultural product does. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then we have, you know, just wonderful honeys here too. Uh, Kiave, mm -hmm. Kiave honey or coconut honey, different types of citrus honey. Uh, yeah. We've, we've got some Lahua. I mean, there's, there's some really impressive ones, uh, that are incredible. Like, you, you know, when, even when I was writing the book, you know, I was in New Jersey and didn't, have a lot of exposure to this kind of diversity of honey. I put it that way. You know, there was the buckwheat honey and the orange and, you know, this and that, but, um, there was, yeah, here, there, there are much, I think the, um, differences in flavors of the honeys are much more diverse. Oh, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Tro tropical and rainforest honeys are extraordinary. And, What's so exciting is those varietal attributes transfer into the mead as well. So if you have a traditional mead or a honey mead, one made only from honey and no other ingredients, um, basically the honey is the only ingredient, right? Mm -hmm. Every flavor attribute in the mead comes from the honey. Right. And so if you've got lihua honey or meadow foam honey or linden tree honey, you know, or whatever it is, um, basically all the aromatics and flavors are coming directly from that varietal honey. Right, right. Okay, awesome. So talk about sexy, right? <laughs> well, let's get let's, exactly uh, my thoughts. Let's let's go, let's go a little bit less sexy. Uh, what about medicinal qualities of mead? Uh, are there a uh, attributes that come through mead? differently than just the straight up honey? Well, there are many different answers. So the Food and Drug Administration and the Alcohol Tax and Trade Bureau would like you to know that alcohol is bad for you and there can never be any statement of health properties on an alcohol bottle in the United States. Yes. So setting that aside, other answers are very different. There's a researcher in Sweden who's experimenting um, with some um, bacteria and yeast in honey, which um, have antibiotic properties. Um, and they're actually doing real university academic research on the possibility of both the honey and the mead being an alternative antibiotic and being mm. licensed and marketed that way. So that's e exciting and one wow. answer. There's an entire category of meads called methaglins, which are spice meads. And the word methaglin is a Welsh word that comes from medicine. So medicine and methaglin are actually cognate words. 
so if you go back several hundred years prior to patent medicines, uh, botanicals were used as medicines. Mm-hmm. And many of those um, are seasonal plants that are only available in the summer. But of course, illnesses tend to hit in the winter. Right. So one of the most popular ways to preserve those medicinal plants for winter use was to put them in alcohol and particularly to put them in mead. And so there's a very long tradition of homebrew meads, particularly made as medicinal meads. Wow. And um, and actually there's a meadery in Mead, Washington called Herophant Meadery, uh, which is run by a young couple who studied botanical medicine prior to mm. becoming mead makers. And they make a whole range of herbal tinctures and herbal meads, which of course the labels can't say are medicinal, but if you look at the ingredients, they have long traditional use as medicinal herbs. Right, right. And you know, that it's um it really it makes sense. Uh because where I was uh coming from in, in that thought was just the use of tinctures you know, which are in mm-hmm. alcohol, right? So, um, you know, right. w- whether it's your black cohosh or your, you know, walnut hulls or whatever, um, yeah. you know, they preserve and them then- in alcohol and they, and they potentiate the, the effects of the, um, the chemical constituents of these different kind of plants. Like propolis. Exactly. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, I make a whole hive mead, uh, in which I include propolis and royal jelly and bee pollen and beeswax um, beyond honey. So it, it kind of has the flavor attributes of the entire hive products. Um, but even, even beyond these tinctures, and of course, uh, you know, many ingredients are either water soluble or fat soluble or alcohol soluble. So by putting them in alcohol, such as mead, you're able to get additional uh, flavor constituents and medicinal constituents out of them compared to just cooking with them in fat and water. Right. Um, but then honey also has many health properties, as many people are aware. And fermented foods have many health properties, mm-hmm. as many people are aware. So if you have raw honey, which already has health properties, and then you ferment it, and the fermentation adds health properties, how could the resulting fermented honey not also be particularly healthy right right the ttb doesn't want you to think about these things but <laughs> <laughs> Shh, we won't tell them <laughs> and, and then if you look at the old literature um there are many many references to mead being drunk as a general health tonic and to um very elderly people attributing mead um with with credit for um, you know sexual activity long into the 70s and 80s, uh, virility and fertility later than you would expect it. Uh, there's a, a, qu- a delightful quote in one like 17th century book about this man in his 80s who every year had a child. Wow. Uh, and he was attributing that property to his habit of mead drinking. So there there's a lot of um, old references in old literature about mead being a health beverage. At, at, at 70 or 80, it may not be him drinking the, the mead, but whoever he's with having his babies. <laughs> there you go. And, and of course, that's that's the case too, right? Mead was the original honeymoon gift. In fact, it's the source right. of the word honeymoon. That's right. 
And mead was the the classic thing for toasting at the wedding. And I submit to you that it's the ideal toasting beverage for modern wedding toasts everywhere. And it was very common to gift the bride and groom with a case of fine mead to lubricate the honeymoon, so to speak, right? What better way to kind of warm up the action and, um, you know, assist with the getting to know each other and fertility. Um, so the, the honeymoon couple would basically lock themselves up with a case of mead for a month. It sounds and, like uh, a plan. <laughs> We should try it out sometime. I'm going down to a volcano uh, meadery and getting a, yeah. getting a couple of cases. I'll, just, I'll sample at home. <laughs> um, so how, how universal is mead across cultures? You know, to me, that is one of the most, I mean, it, it actually literally raised the hairs on the back of my neck when you asked this question. To me, this is one of the most beautiful aspects there is of mead. No matter who you are or what part of the world you're from, your ancestors made mead. Um, honeybees are everywhere. So while grapes have a fairly narrow band that they thrive in yeah. and hops have a fairly narrow um, band that they thrive in, flowers and bees thrive everywhere, even where there aren't any people. Right. And humans everywhere, possibly as long ago as 40,000 years ago or even longer, have made mead just about everywhere. Um, so it's absolutely universal. Uh, I mean, people on every continent except Antarctica have a history of mead making. Right, right. And, you know, while we talk about the, the resurgence of meaderies in the U.S. and Canada, how many other cultures do you feel really have, maybe even if it wasn't at the center, but still are very much more connected than we are? to our meat history? There are several. Um, so the Slavic cultures have a very long history of meat making and honey culturing. Um, Poland particularly, and kind of the, the Baltic states and the Slavic region generally, um, have a lot of wild forests and wild meadows. And because of um, altitude and latitude, those lands weren't particularly suitable for grape growing or even to some extent for grain growing. That's not exclusively true. Poland actually has um, very high production of wheat and barley and rye, um, but not all of the lands are suitable to that. So where there are wild forests and wild meadows, there is honey. And in the absence of other sugars to ferment, those became the favored uh, things to make alcohol from. Um, Poland and Lithuania have the only large-scale industrial production of mead anywhere in the world. So I'm, I'm really talking about like breweries on the scale of um, Budweiser, for example. Right. Um, so they, they make vast quantities of mead in Poland and Lithuania. Um, another culture that has a very, very strong um, identity with mead is Ethiopia. Right. Um, and again, uh, the Kaffa forest in Ethiopia, which is the, the place that honey, or excuse me, that coffee originates, um, has enormous numbers of bees and honey production. In Ethiopia, most honey is fermented at home. More than 80% of the country's entire honey production is fermented into mead. Mm. Um, no other country 
ferments a bigger percentage of their honey. But there are only a couple of commercial meaderies. Almost all of it is done at home as home brewing. Oh. Um, so for, for Ethiopians, um, homebrew meat, it's called tej in Ethiopia, right. um, has a very strong sense of um, identity. Um, India, incidentally, is another place that's beginning to rediscover its um, its original attachment to mead. So the, the word mead is so old that in the original Proto-Indo-European language that predates all modern languages, um, something like that must have meant mead or honey because in English we have mead, but in modern Sanskrit we have, and I don't know how to pronounce it. I know how it's written in, you know, in English characters, but madhu or midhu or something okay. like this yeah, is the that. modern word is the modern word for honey. Right. It's cognate, right? So it's that old. Um, and uh, the Rig Veda text in India mentions mead in many places. And mm. that, that book is thousands of years old. Right. And in fact, the very oldest hard evidence, and I'm talking about hard archaeological evidence of fermenting honey into alcohol was found in Jiahu, China. And that archaeological site, Adrian, is 9,000 years old. Whoa. We're talking about pottery that was made a good three or 4,000 years before pottery was being manufactured in the Mediterranean region. Right. They were making pottery and they were fermenting honey. And the, the pottery residue clearly shows that there was, it, it's got beeswax in it. It clearly wow. shows that there was a fermented drink that was made partly from honey in those jars. Wow, that's, isn't that beautiful? I mean, it just makes my it just makes the hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah, stand the, yeah, that's so happened to old, me. Just as you so were saying universe. that, I was like, <laughs> that's really, yeah. that's wild. I think it's a really, really beautiful thing. Um, you know, that is just so universal. That's wonderful. That I love. I love hearing about that. So, you know, when I don't know if I'm right about this, but I. I kind of see two major categories of people who, who, you know, are, would be looking at your book, right? So you've got the people who already enjoy mead and they want to understand better, or at least at the very least from, you know, your research and perspective, how to pair food and what kind of foods they can prepare at home that would go very well. Cause you have a, a lovely recipe section. Uh, but then on the other side, there are those who, you know, maybe, didn't think about mead, you know, like I was saying before, maybe the gluten intolerant person who really loves their beer and, you know, I can't get that flavor and, you know, maybe meat, they might find a hoppy mead to be a, a good um, uh, replacement or uh, someone who is, um, uh, you know, just this is the first time they're really even thinking like they just never noticed meat on the shelves. They never noticed that there's a meadery uh, in their area and now they want to um, start you know, uh, using it or they purchased one on vacation and now they don't know what to do with it and they're waiting for the perfect, you know, um, accompaniment for it or the perfect, uh, setting to enjoy it in, you know, but in, in maybe they don't know where to start. So I guess what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this is how do you suggest people use your book, make the most use out of it? What a great question. Um, so, so I see, um, like, I guess, a few different use cases for the book, and all of these would be great reasons to buy and enjoy the book. Um, as you say, I, I think there there are a lot of kitchens and pantries 
uh, with a couple of bottles of mead. They picked it up on a vacation or somebody gave it to him as a present. And somehow there's um, this intimidation factor of they're not ready to open the bottle yet. So chapter two of the book is kind of a mead appreciation chapter. Like what is mead? How do I open it? How do I use it? Um, how can I tell by looking at the label what the characteristics are going to be of what's inside? Is there a way just from looking at the outside to tell, is this sweet? Is it dry? Is it strong? Is it soft? What what should I expect when I open it? And once I open it, how fast do I have to drink it? Um, yes. How quick is it going to spoil? And if I don't open it, how long can I hold it? Is it ever going to be a problem? Right. So all those kinds of questions are addressed in chapter two, which is just kind of a, a basic meat appreciation mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and then there are three indexes in the book. One is um, just a general index. One is a mead index and one is a food index. So if, for example, you had that strawberry mead uh, that we were talking about at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. right, you can look up in the mead index, strawberry mead, and actually I'm looking it up in the index right now. So strawberry melomels, and again, melomel is that specialty word that means fruit mead. I've got entries on page 108, 112, 121, 237, and 372 about strawberry meads. And if you go to those pages, it's going to suggest things that you can serve with a strawberry mead. Right. Or or it's going to be recommending particular brands of strawberry oh, meads. Gotcha. So, for instance, a spinach salad with fresh strawberries sliced on it and a raspberry vinaigrette is going to be a terrific accompaniment to an off-dry strawberry mead. Mm. Yum, right? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think um, and then conversely, if you're kind of trying to decide what am I going to make for dinner and, um, you know, you're thinking, I don't know, uh, grilled fish, right? You can look in the food index for grilled fish and that'll refer you back to places in the text where various mead recommendations are made. Um, and grilled flavors, for example, go great with oaked meads or barrel-aged meads. Mm-hmm. So if you've got um, an off-dry traditional mead, say made from one of your lovely Hawaiian honeys, and it's been aged in an oak barrel, then you pick up both the tropical flavors that are going to complement, say, a grilled fish with a tropical fruit salsa, Mm -hmm. and you've got the barrel oaky flavors that are going to complement the grilled flavors of your fish. Bam, you've got a terrific pairing. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I like that. Yeah, the first thing I thought was... um, was pineapples on on the fish <laughs> when you started describing it. And yeah. Like, mm, and there are yeah. some great pineapple melomels. In fact, there's a place here in Portland, Oregon that makes, um, no, sorry, it's not Portland. I can't think now where it is, but there's a smoked pineapple Ooh. cilantro chili pepper mead. Ooh, so it's like a pineapple salsa mead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's freaking delicious. Oh, I can imagine. That's awesome. That is really, I I had no idea there was so much to know about mead. That is just, that's really incredible. And I don't, I I don't even. Barely cracked the door. Oh, I know. And and I'm, I'm sorry because I've, I'm taking a course this month and I've got to like run out the door and then within the next five minutes. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I would love to have you back if you ever are able to, um, uh, 
you know, square away some time. I would love to have you back and, and talk more about, about your book and your experience. I mean, this is a really, really, um, uh, impressive topic. And I, I don't even know how you did this much, much research. I mean, it's, it must have taken you years to put this together. Uh, it seems well, to me that this will be a five part episode at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll yeah, have to, honestly, next time we'll have honestly, to actually have Mead with pleasure. us. <laughs> that would be a real pleasure. It's, it's been a lot of fun talking with you today and I would love to talk with you. I love yeah, to we'll talk to anybody. You, <laughs> yeah, we'll send you our addresses, you know, so you can uh, ship us that Mead for the next episode. <laughs> Right. Well, you got it locally. I've got it locally. We'll all show up. But maybe we'll, you know what we yeah. might do? Maybe we'll do a Facebook live event on the actual you, day that your, your book uh, goes live. That could be a lot of fun. We could and, have Nicola with um, Croatian meat. There are some excellent Croatian meaderies. Yeah. And Adrian, you know, right there in, on uh, Hawaii, you've got volcano meadery. You could go pick up a bottle or two. Exactly. We've and it'll be 10 o'clock in the morning for me, too. That'll, that'll be even Excellent. more interesting. So we, can, <laughs> we can do the brunch need taste. Exactly. So your Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash mead and food. And you have uh, meadandfood.com, which should be live by the time this airs. It will be. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Um, if there any parting words before we let you go? Uh, just go drink more mead. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> thank you so much. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing um, your passion uh, about this topic. And I will report back to you with some of the things that I find. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Thanks All so right. much. It's been a real pleasure today. Same here. Thanks. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks. Thanks.